service. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about my Tacovas cowboy boots. I picked them up while I was in Austin, Texas. I had this event I had to go to that night. It was a formal thing. I had this idea of what I was going to wear, but I needed the one extra thing. And I was like, aha, Tacovas. There's a Tacovas here in Austin. The dudes who worked at the store were great. I found the exact boot I was looking for. This boot is called the Dylan. I got it in midnight black. I wore them to this formal event. I had on a suit. And then tonight, I'm going to wear them with jeans to my son's baseball game. These things are amazing cowboy boots. They're super comfortable, and I can tell already that they're going to last for a long time. A couple things you can do here to check out Tacovis. If you can, stop by your local Tacovis store. Have a complimentary drink or two. The experience is awesome. You can shop all the new styles. You're going to smell that fresh leather in the store. The friendly staff are going to be at your service. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make you feel like a rock star. A lot of the Tacovis stores have these leather custom branding services to make your boots truly personalized. They put on regular live music and events. It's an awesome in-store experience. So if you have the opportunity to check out a Tacova store, I highly recommend it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges. And they ship right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Disgraceland is a production of Double Elvis. A quick heads up for those who may be triggered by tales of sexual abuse and violence. This episode of Disgraceland depicts both. The story about the king of Western swing, Spade Cooley, is insane. He was a violent, drunk, and homicidal psychopath who at the time was one of the biggest stars in the country. His TV show reached millions. He appeared in countless movies, scored numerous top ten hits, and once hosted Frank Sinatra as a favor to help Frank get his career going again. But Spade Cooley had no heart. Spade Cooley cared only about Spade Cooley. He was mean, jealous, abusive, and almost totally driven by the deep-seated insecurity that he wasn't good enough for any of the women in his life, a fear that in the end proved to be tragic for both him and his family. But Spade Cooley made great music. That music you heard at the top of the show, that wasn't great music. That was a preset loop from my Mellotron called Slow Waltz Guitar Low MK2. I played you that loop because I can't afford the license for Wedding Bell Blues by the Fifth Dimension. And why would I play you that specific slice of champagne soul-infused cheese? Could I afford it? Because that was the number one song in America on November 23rd, 1969. And that was the day that the heartless Spade Cooley stepped out on stage for the last time. On this, the final episode of season two of Disgraceland, 
psychopathic jealousy, champagne soul, slow waltzing guitars, and the king of western swing, the heartless Spade Cooley. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. You gotta shake your hips, and snap your fingers too, move them shoulders. Of course, moving them shoulders was a ruse to force her to shimmy her breasts. She was 18 and beautiful, shy though, not quite jailbait, but quite positively a cock tease. Spade Cooley didn't care, yet. He dragged on his cigarette, filled his lungs, leaned back in his office chair and studied this fine little thing in front of him. Yeah, she'd do, he thought. She'd be able to cut it in his band. And if not, no sweat. He had sway with his audience. They'd endure a prude singer on his stage for a minute or so, so long as she looked like this. And the potential upside for Spade was too much not to risk. The Peggy Sue was gorgeous, and she could sing. But could she pull it all together? And could Spade put her in the sack, he wondered. Not tonight. Not on the day of her audition. The man had a heart, after all. He wasn't an animal, for Christ's sakes. So Spade decided to give her the gig and give her some time before taking what he now viewed as rightfully his. And he could wait, at least until tomorrow. Spade's mind wandered back to this day in 1945 while on the stand in 1961, on trial for his life at age 54 for the murder of his 36-year-old wife, Ella Mae Cooley. Why his mind did this, he had no idea. Ever since his dick got hard, he had this thing where certain women from his life, some inconsequential, others very consequential, would just pop into his head out of nowhere. And right now, Peggy Sue, from back in his days at the Santa Monica Ballroom, was a welcome distraction. Far more interesting than the prosecutor in the $10 suit grilling him in this dusty Bakersfield court. Those were the days. Spade hadn't quite gripped life by the balls full-fistedly yet, but he was well on his way to tightening his grip. He had a bona fide smash hit, Shame On You, and was packing them in weekly out on the pier and broadcasting his brand of highly popular Western swing music to homes all over Southern California on KWLA. And people were driving from miles around in this era of gas rationing to see him play. And this was 1945. World War II wasn't quite over yet. But little Miss Peggy Sue refused to shake her hips. Spade, impatient, with a cigarette hanging from his lips, quickly rose up from behind his desk and over to within an inch of Peggy Sue's face. She could smell his atrocious breath. He vibed on the smell of her cheap candy store perfume, and before anything even happened, she felt the shame swell within her. Spade felt his dick start to chub up. He put both his hands on her hips and forced them to sway, gently, first to the left, then to the right. And Peggy Sue looked up at him blankly. Unsure of what she should do, she needed this gig bad, but she was scared. And this man, he was the local celebrity. He could pay her more in a month than she'd earn out on the boardwalk behind a counter in a year. But he was a mean-looking bastard. Short, slick back hair, black eyes, like oil slicks. They shined but offered no reflection, still and lifeless. And her fear now replaced her shame. You see, Peggy Sue, you gotta move a little give the men in the audience something to think about when they get home with their tired old wives. He smiled. Incredibly, it seemed to her. But the 
just his upper lip. Peggy Sue nodded in fear. Spade took it for obedience, and when she lowered her eyes, Spade swore she was gesturing to her breasts. He just knew that under that raggedy wool sweater there was a body to beat the band, and Spade couldn't wait to get his hands all over it. He suspected she was just the type to give it out willy-nilly to the soldiers on leave. In Spade's estimation, gutless, square-jawed ex-letterman who'd rather ship off overseas to shoot at faceless chips and take their chances shooting the moon and stars all at once, as Spade had been doing since he first came to Hollywood back in the 30s. Spade knew their kind. Every weekend while on shore leave, they'd fill his dance hall. And right now, one of them was back home in Fresno, filling his ex-wife with what Spade suspected was a very sizable small-town cock. Fuck this. Tomorrow was too long away. Spade turned his head, spit out his smoke, and smashed his slimy lips into Peggy Sue's. She kept her mouth shut and pulled back. Spade used his weight to push her up against the wall. His hands were all over her, first on the outside of her sweater and then up and under her skirt, feeling for her panties. She squirmed, tried pushing him back. She could feel his penis now, hard and pressing up against her belly. And she was repulsed but relieved at its size or lack thereof. Spade slid his hand around to the backside of her panties, and in that motion, Peggy Sue bit down on his lip, hard. Spade pulled back and with a quick pain, shocked but aroused even further. And in that instant, Peggy Sue slid out from between Spade Cooley and the wall and made her break for the door. The thought of this event from his past still excited him even here in the distraction of the courtroom. And to the crowd in the court, Spade appeared heartless. It had little to do with his demeanor or looks and everything to do with the gruesome charge that this one-time television star had tortured and murdered his wife in front of their teenage daughter. The celebrity and lurid details made for sensational and damning headlines and what they did to one's imagination. It was too much. Innocent before being proven guilty was a farce. And this was the trial of the century, the biggest thing since Fatty Arbuckle. This was pre-JFK assassination, pre-Manson murders, and it was impossible to see Spade Cooley for anything other than what he was, a murderous creep. But that didn't stop Spade from trying to sway the jury's opinion. He testified that his wife was a whore who was enraptured by a free love sex cult and that she had admitted, to Spade at least, to sleeping with two men at a time as part of her duties in said cult. And perhaps even more damning to Spade, his wife was rumored to have been sleeping with Spade's mentor and sometime rival, Roy Rogers, the singing cowboy. It wasn't like LMA at all, Spade testified. It was though she was an animal. Hey, are you guys proud dog owners like I am? You ever wonder why so many dogs are suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, you know Katherine Heigl from Knocked Up, she's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation. And she says that she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, Katherine feels that there's one place that we can all look to improve our dog's health, and that is their food. Many dog foods can actually create toxins that can be wrecking our dog's health. Okay, and this is true even for many of the premium dog food brands. However, by just adding a few special superfoods to our dog's diets, we can see huge transformations in their health. Katherine Heigl has already done this. She's made a video about it. You guys need to watch this video. It's a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. 
This worked amazingly for my dog, Dusty. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin, uh, healthier coat. Dusty's coat looks fantastic. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash disgraceland and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash disgraceland. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com slash membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership and an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Mr. Cooley, do you own any animals? No, sir, but I've used them in my act. Dogs, to be precise. I love animals, sir. Would you ever hurt an animal? No, sir. I hardly eat any meat. Some bacon every now and then, but not much meat at all. Can't stand the thought of hurting animals. Not even a mouse. The main difference between psychopaths and sociopaths is a lack of empathy for fellow humans. Sociopaths can develop long-lasting family relationships and live out their antisocial lifestyles. And this is in part because of their capacity to feel for other humans, to experience guilt. Psychopaths, on the other hand, well, the general belief is that they do not feel guilt. And this is how they are able to torture and kill and feel nothing. They are heartless. And a strange thing about psychopaths is their love of animals, despite their ability to torture them, particularly at a young age. Psychopaths see in animals unconditional love that humans cannot offer them, so they develop strong bonds of love and affection with animals and pets. Despite Cooley loved animals, but deep down he hated and feared women. He hated the power they had over him the ability they had to send his blood boiling with jealousy. When the cops came knocking the afternoon after the incident with Peggy Sue, Spade was semi-shocked. Surely they could understand. Spade Cooley was an important man around town, and women threw themselves at him. The cops ran through Peggy Sue's assault allegation as if it were a minor formality. Spade assured them he didn't rape her. He couldn't rape her. She was only 18. He was old enough to be her daddy. Plus, he loved the little birds who came to his shows. In the end, it was his word against hers. He said, she said. In other words, 
what he said was bond and what she said wasn't to be believed. Spade gave an official statement to the police and after a minute got back to the business of being Spade Cooley. And that was that. And Peggy Sue, who kept her virginity, found the courage to put Spade Cooley in the rear view and proceeded down the path of building a career in a business overpopulated with perverts and controlled by lecherous creeps. Show business. Peggy Sue had the last laugh, though, when years later she appeared on Lawrence Welk, a man Spade Cooley hated and saw as partly responsible for his slide in popularity in the entertainment world. Spade was jealous of Welk's success. Spade was jealous of most men who had anything he perceived himself to be without. Spade Cooley's jealous streak ran a mile long. It fueled him. At first, he was jealous of his buddy Roy Rogers' career, and so he took his own swing at showbiz. And then he was jealous of his bandleader, Jimmy Wakeley, so he took his own swing at being a bandleader. And since his high school days as a short little runt, he'd always been jealous of the tall, all-American types with the broad shoulders who threw the football around in the yard after school and threw the cheerleaders around in the back seats of their daddy's cars on weekends. So he took his swing at 18-year-old Peggy Sue when he saw the opportunity. And sitting on the stand now, Spade couldn't get Peggy Sue out of his mind. She was one of the few sexual conquests that went unconquered. And because of this, she occupied a special place in Spade's memory bank. He fantasized about her frequently, not having sex with him. Instead, having sex with Ned Rasmussen, the hometown boy next door who stole his wife away while he was out on the road with the West Texas sons of the sagebrush, trying to make a buck to feed his family. Ned had what Spade hadn't, physical appeal and the respect that only a tall man can command immediately upon entering a room. And Spade knew, he just knew, that Ned was just the type of no-talent, empty-letter sweater-wearing shipbird that Peggy Sue gave it out to willy-nilly. And the thought of the two of them going at it, it got Spade's blood pumping, fast. His heart, if that was indeed a heart, beat like a Gene Krupa snare, wild. On the stand, Spade could hear voices coming at him. They were distant, underwater sounding. He could no longer see the defense attorney pitching softball questions at him. Just Ned Rasmussen with his perfectly coiffed hair leering down at him from behind Peggy Sue. As he thrust his ample cock into the beautiful young virgin who had denied him, Spade Cooley, the king of Western swing. Spade swore Ned that smug prick had just smiled at him. And Peggy Sue was panting. It was pleasure and pain all at once. Spade's heart felt like it was going to bust out of his chest, run out into the courthouse hall to a payphone, and call the fire department to come throw cold water on the deeply hot and passionate sex scene playing out in the courtroom in Spade's imagination. Spade felt his eyes burn and then widen. His lips started to pull apart and the cigarette he'd been smoking hung stuck to his bottom lip. Smoke trailed to the rickety courtroom ceiling fan. The prosecutor grew concerned, as did the judge, and turned towards Spade. Mr. Cooley, Mr. Cooley, are you all right? Spade smacked his chest with his right hand and in a strained and muted tone said, My heart! And with that, he fell over in his chair and passed out. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. The electrocardiogram administered to Spade after his heart attack showed that, well, it wasn't really a heart attack. After all, it's tough to have a heart attack when you're heartless. What it was was most likely a panic attack. Either way, Spade Cooley, 
the so-called king of Western swing, the genius fiddle player and showman who packed them in up and down the Southern California coast, who'd recorded a number one hit and had a string of top 10 singles, appeared in 38, 38 Westerns, hosted his own nationally syndicated television variety show, won two Emmys, and even once hosted Frank Sinatra. That's Spade Cooley, the same Spade Cooley who built a sprawling Willow Springs ranch in the desert for his wife and kids was now back in the Kern County courtroom, his hollow eyes darting every which way, trying to avoid what was taking place on the stand. His 14-year-old daughter, Melody, testifying against him. She spoke softly. Spade gave me three minutes, and then he started counting. You have two minutes left. You have one minute. Time's up. Who is Spade, the prosecutor asked. My father. Did you ever call him Daddy? Yes, sir. When did you stop calling him Daddy? When he killed my mother. The story, as explained by his daughter, was familiar to Spade, but not in a subjective way. Melody's recounting jived with Spade's memory, but it was as if he was remembering someone else committing the crime. Spade could remember the rage, he still felt it. He knew Ella May had been fucking around on him. First with Roy Rogers, that prick, and then with her two queer friends she'd been hanging out with on weekends. Gay, yeah, maybe, deviants, definitely. And Ella May was a deviant as well. It was in her nature, just like it was with his ex-wife and just like it was with that cocktease Peggy Sue. Women, they were all the same, Spade thought. But Ella May, she had the nerve to not only cheat on him, but to then want to leave him. For what? Because he called her on her bullshit? Because he knocked her around a little to keep her in line? She was weak, Spade thought. Nowhere near as tough as Benita, the side piece he kept down in Santa Monica. Or Harriet, the tough Jewish seamstress who'd shown him around Hollywood back in the day. Ella May was weak-minded and disloyal. And Spade couldn't just let her mess around on him. Sure, his career might not have been what it once was. Western Swing might have gone out of fashion. The TV show might have been canceled, but Spade had plans. The amusement park he was building out in the desert was going to put Willow Springs on the map, and make it the Palm Springs of Central California. Spade was a big man now as an entertainer, but he'd soon be even a bigger man as a developer. And what if someone heard about LMA and what she was up to? It was bad enough, the rumors about Roy Rogers, but some queer from the desert? And then she was going to leave? No. Of course. Ella Mae Cooley hadn't slept with any of these men, but Spade couldn't shake the jealousy that had ruled him ever since adolescence. Spade thought back to that night Ella Mae threatened divorce for the last time, and when she told Melody to pack her bags, and they were leaving. And then and there, Spade felt his head ignite with fire. He could feel the rockets explode in his skull, the jealousy, it was all consuming. He raged, went blind, and came to with the sight of his daughter in his bedroom doorway. He looked down at his pants and shirtless chest. There was blood all over him. Someone else's. He grabbed his daughter by the hair, pulling her through the master suite's bedroom and into the bathroom. Come in here. I want you to see your stupid mother. There on the bathroom floor, lying in the shower, naked and bloodied, with the water raining down on her, flushing her blood down the drain as quickly as it exited her wounds, was what was left of Melody's mother and Spade's wife, Ella Mae Cooley. Spade had ripped her hair out of her head by the fistful before pummeling her with those same fists. Hold up. 
This story is about to get very graphic and very dark, so much so that it was hard for me to write and even harder for me to voice. If graphic depictions of murder and physical abuse turn you off, then I urge you to skip ahead about 60 seconds. Spade pounced on top of Ella May, held her down, whispered into her ear, this is the last fuck of your life, and then proceeded to rape her. And when he was done, he shoved her into the shower to clean herself up, but that wouldn't do. She'd be cleaned up in no time and out again, parading herself all around town. Fuck that. Spade had to make her undesirable to all men. He grabbed the broom from behind the toilet, held her down to the bathroom floor, and did the unthinkable. Rammed it. Repeatedly. Up. And into her. When he saw the mess he'd made, he kicked the lifeless LMA repeatedly in the belly to mask the damage he'd done with the broom handle. Now, an hour or so later, he sat at the edge of his bed while his daughter surveyed the damage. Come here, baby. His daughter stood still in the doorway, frozen by the sight of her nearly beaten to death mother. You heard your father. Petrified, Melody joined Spade on the bed. Spade pulled her onto his lap. She could smell the whiskey on his breath. These days it was rare if she didn't. He rubbed her shoulder and then mashed his slimy lips into his daughter's and crammed his tongue down her throat. All he could think about were the football players at her school with their broad shoulders and their big cocks wanting in on what was rightfully his, his daughter. Melody fought him off. In his drunken state, he wasn't much of a match. Melody split. Spade pulled his wounded wife from the shower and tucked her into their bed. He waited four hours before calling the ambulance. By the time they arrived at the emergency room, LMA Cooley had succumbed to her wounds and died. The judge leaned forward in his chair after thanking the ladies and gentlemen of the jury and then addressed the rest of his court. It is the judgment of this court that you, Donald Clyde Cooley, a.k.a. Spade Cooley, be committed to the state prison for life for the crime for which you have been convicted and that you be remanded custody of the sheriff of this county for delivery without further delay. Spade Cooley was led out of the courtroom into a state mental hospital where he didn't exactly serve hard time. His supposed heart troubles and his failed insanity plea and his celebrity status, it was reasoned, were enough for him to do his time in a private hospital room rather than an actual jail cell. Some suspect that his old friend from back in his Hollywood days, the new governor of California, the one-time actor, Ronald Reagan, had something to do with his cushy prison digs. And it was with Reagan's eventual support seven years later that Spade Cooley was granted parole to begin February 1970, meaning Spade would be serving a total of eight years for the murder and rape of his wife. In the meantime, he was to be granted a 72-hour furlough to perform a benefit concert for the Deputy Sheriff's Association at the Oakland Auditorium. It was one of those traveling Grand Ole Opry spectaculars. Spade took the stage on November 29, 1969. He grabbed his fiddle and led the band through a hellfire version of his hit, Shame on You. A crowd of 3,000 lawmen went apeshit for Spade Cooley. The bona fide celebrity on stage, their very own prisoner, there to entertain them for their benefit. Spade killed. After his set, 
He asked the waiting paroleman in the wings if it would be all right for him to have a minute alone in his dressing room. The moment had clearly affected Spade Cooley. His first time on stage, his first time out of prison in years, and the reception, pure love from the audience. Spade was emotional. The paroleman gave him the okay. Head backstage and cool out for a second before we go back to prison. Spade Cooley walked into his dressing room and closed the door. He thought of Ella May, her body naked in the shower, a mangled mess of a woman who drove him crazy and in his estimation, got what was coming to her. His anger flashed, the rage returned, and then his breath quickened and his chest caved in with pain. The heart attack came on him quick. He fell face down and died instantly. His body lay on the dressing room floor. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Disgraceland was created by yours truly and is produced in partnership with Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at disgracelandpod.com. If you're listening as a Disgraceland All Access member, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if not, you can become a member right now by going to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Members can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. Weekly unscripted bonus episodes, special audio collections, and early access to merchandise and events. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership for details. Rate and review the show and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at DisgracelandPod. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash at DisgracelandPod. Rock a roller.